and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services rep, bringing you this week's episode, which we kick off with a very action-packed market update this week from our economist with Blumling & Associates, Tiffany LaMondola. We follow up the action-packed market update with a rerun of our March 2022 Cow Savers webinar for all of our members who couldn't make it. We've had a lot of questions this week, both through our attorney and through our field reps, and we want to make sure producers who are looking at that June deadline have all the answers right at their fingertips to the many questions that come up with the Cal Savers program. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll jump right in with Tiffany. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com safety. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. It was a really busy one in our dairy markets. We had a lot of reports to digest and I would say some fed the bulls and some fed the bears. We started the week out um, with a global dairy trade event out of Oceana, and all indexes moved lower. Um, It definitely put a little damper on our markets here in the U.S. as well. Um, In particular, their flagship whole milk powder and skim milk powder contracts were uh, significantly lower. We saw a lot um, lot less interest out of China, and recent data from China suggests they've slowed down a bit on their appetites as well. Um, so like I said, that report, I would say, fed fed the bears, leaning uh, bearish that day. We followed the next day with a milk production report for March. Um, that re- report was pretty neutral. Uh, the U.S. declined 0.5% year over year. That was right around expectations. Um, we have now been down year over year in output for about five consecutive months. Uh, one thing to note, however, a little change in trend is cow numbers were reported to be up 15,000 head in March. That's the biggest month over month increase we've seen um, in about a year. And they also revised cow numbers up uh, in February. So in total, uh, 28,000 head gain during the past two months. However, we are still down year over year. We we have 87,000 fewer cows according to USDA. So we've got a ways to go to bridge that gap. Uh, No major shifts in regional data, although uh, California and the Southwest did join the Midwest in posting positive year-over-year growth. So those were the regions uh, showing gains. California in particular was up uh, a half a percent, 0.5%. Then we finished out the week today on Friday with a cold storage report, and I would say that report was mixed. Uh, The tone out of the butter data was definitely bearish. We added more stocks to inventories than we normally do from February to March. Um, And however, the report was uh, leaning bullish for cheese. We actually pulled down inventories from March, uh, February to March, and we normally add to inventories. So all in all, lots of up and down this week. Volatility, uh, we still ended the week at a very nice spot levels. Block cheese at 239 and a quarter, barrels at 237, and butter at 266.75. Uh, Nonfat dairy milk, I would say, took the biggest hit for the week. We closed at 175.50, however, still a pretty good number, and way also down to 63 and a half. Look forward to hearing from you if you have any questions. Thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk with you guys today. So thank you um, for letting me join um, to talk about how California is working to address the retirement savings access gap that exists in the state. And I just realized that I started talking without sharing my screen. So let me put those up (laughs) Um, so that you guys don't just have to look at my face for the whole time. 
But um, yeah, so we're gonna talk about how California is working to address the retirement savings access gap that exists in the state. And of course, discuss the state's new retirement savings mandate um, and why this is an important compliance issue for, for you and your peers. So just briefly, you know, CalSavers is, is, is the state's new retirement savings program designed for the millions of California workers who um, don't have a way to save for retirement at their job. Um, it was actually created by legislation back in 2016 that requires California employers who do not sponsor their own retirement plan and have five or more employees um, to enroll in CalSavers and facilitate their employees access to, to our program, which we've designed as an automatic enrollment um, individual retirement account, IRA. Um, but importantly, with no employer fees or fiduciary um, liability. So, um, you know, my goal for today was just to, to give you some background on how the CalSavers program came to be. Um, we'll go over this new mandate. Obviously, that's probably one of the most important takeaways um, from this webinar, but we'll talk a little bit about what this, what this program is all about um, and how we've tried to do our best to design it to uh, be as easy as possible for the employers to do facilitate our program for their employees. Um, so with that being said, I'll, I'll get into it. Um, and again, I think the best place to start is a little bit of background to just talk about the situation that exists in the state, why California thought it was important to uh, pass the bill that created this program. And as I mentioned, you know, the goal of this program is, is to address this retirement savings access gap that exists in the state. So what does that look like, right? Well, you know, research shows that nearly half of Californians are projected to retire into economic hardship if they can retire at all, which is, you know, a really sobering statistic when you, when you really stop to think about it. And we think that a key driver of that fact is the millions of Californians who are going to work every day, playing by the rules, but lack access to a workplace-based retirement program. Um, and that's really important because all of the research also shows that workers are 15 times more likely to be saving and be on a path towards retirement security if they have access to a simple payroll deduction savings plan at work. So just a simple way to save automatically from the paycheck, set it and forget it, saving a little bit from every paycheck, but you know, over the long run, making a, a big dent towards the retirement security. Um, that number actually goes up to 20 times more likely if the program features automatic enrollment, which is something we're proud to say CalSavers does, and we're gonna talk about in much more detail in just a little bit. But um, knowing that the best way to get folks saving and on a path towards retirement security is through the workplace, um, as I mentioned, back in, in 2016, the uh, California legislature passed this bill, which really did two important things. Number one, and again, most important takeaway from this one, there is a new mandate in place um, regarding retirement savings. But number two, it also gave us the authorization to create this CalSavers program as a really simple, fee-free, plug-and-play way for employers to be able to, you know, satisfy this, this mandate, but most importantly, you know, give their employees access access to these tools that we know work. So what does the mandate say? Uh, the mandate says any business in the state of California that does not offer a retirement plan, if they have five or more employees, has to register for CalSavers and facilitate their employees' access to the program. So what that means in real life is any business in the state with five or more employees who already has a retirement savings plan in place will be exempt from the mandate. Any business in the state of California who goes out and decides to start their own employer-sponsored retirement plan um, before their CalSavers deadline um, will be exempt from the mandate. But again, for everyone else, we wanted to create a really simple tool for um, employers to be able to satisfy the mandate. Um, now, we measure the number of employees that your business has by looking at um, your quarterly wage reports that you file with EDD. So we look at those quarterly wa wage reports and we average out the number of, of employees that you report to EDD for the entire calendar year. Um, and then we'll reassess employer eligibility every year based on that data um, to see if folks are still eligible and should still be um, facilitating the program for the employees. But you'll notice, you know, or, you know, I think important observation is we're not measuring full-time employees. Um, since you're reporting all of your employees to EDD, we're, we're counting all of the employees, regardless of if they're part-time, full-time, seasonal. Um, if you had them on a wage report, they'll count towards your um, or average of employees that, that you had for the year. Um, but in terms of employee eligibility, you know, again, with the goal of, of addressing the access gap, we wanted to make this um, program as accessible as possible. So any of your employees that are receiving W-2 wages from your business, um, California W-2 wages, just in case you have employees that are also working out of state and collecting out of state wages, they won't count. But um, anybody with California W-2 wages who's 18 years or older and has a social security number or an ITIN is eligible to participate. So again, that's part-time, full-time, seasonal. 
even folks who might be here on a visa, so if you have H2A workers, for example, um, they would be included um, in the count and um, should be given access to the program. Um, we do also like to say up front that we don't see ourselves as intended to compete or compete with or replace um, employer-sponsored plans. You know, um, the goal is this access gap. So if we see employers, and we actually already are seeing employers going out and starting their own qualified plans, um, that's still a win because most importantly, it means that employees are getting access to retirement saving vehicles. So um, I keep saying qualified retirement plans, you know, employers with any one of these plans in place will be exempt from the mandate or who goes out and starts before their, their registration deadline. This list is also available on our website. So um, you can go to calsavers.com and it's in the help center. It's the very first question under the employer frequently asked questions, um, pulls up this list. Um, but, you know, long story short, if you have any one of these plans in place and you'll see some familiar names on there, 401ks, that plan, simple plan, um, you'd be exempt from the mandate and you would not have to register for CalSAVERS. All right, so let's talk about those registration deadlines really quick. Um, when we launched the program back in July of 2019, it kicked off a three-year phase rollout um, for employers based on the size of your business. So the first two deadlines have actually already passed. So businesses with more than 100 employees uh, were supposed to register by September 30th of 2020. Um, and businesses with more than 50 employees were supposed to register by June 30th of 2021. Um, we've just recently entered the penalty phase for those wave one employers. So the ones who are supposed to register all the way back on September 30th of 2020. Um, so we're, we're finally reaching out to them with compliance notices to get them, get them on board or to exempt them if they have a plan in place. Um, and then we'll be moving pretty soon onto the onto that phase for the businesses more than 50 employees. But our goal has always been compliance. So, you know, we're encouraging employers in either of those two buckets. If you haven't gotten started yet, reach out to us. We'll get you up and running. And any penalties that we might have sent you notices about won't apply once you get into compliance. So, you know, again, get in compliance and uh, and and we're here to help you do that. But the next deadline is probably the biggest one. Um, it's coming up on June 30th of 2022, and that's for the businesses with five or more employees. Um, now, again, we're, we're talking about the average number of employees that you reported to EDD during the previous calendar year. Um, but if that average was, was five or more, uh, you'll have until June 30th of 2022 to um, either let us know that you have a plan in place, if we don't already know, or, um, or register for the program and let us help you help your employees save for retirement. Um, and that's why this is a really timely opportunity for us to get in front of you and talk to you about it, because with this big deadline coming up, I think it's, you know, important that we get in front of employers and answer questions about this program. Um, just a quick note for employers with less than five employees. Remember, again, we're talking about the average number of employees that you reported to EDD during the previous calendar year. But if that number is four or fewer than, than you as an employer are not subject to the mandate, um, you don't have, you won't register for the program. Um, but we did open the program for individual participation. So if employees of those very small businesses or if you yourself happen to own, you know, a, a business before a fewer employees or if you're, you're you know, self-employed folks, contractors, gig workers can all, you know, go to our website, calsavers.com and start their own IRA accounts with us um, anytime they'd like to start saving. Um, just a quick peek at, at, you know, what we've identified in, in the aggregate agricultural industry as a whole, as well as, you know, beef cattle ranching, ranching and, and dairy cattle and milk production. You know, we've identified more than 7,100 firms throughout the state of California with more than 330,000 employees that, you know, potentially subject to the mandate um, and, you know, potential impact um, for employees to be able to save for their retirement. But in the dairy cattle and milk production, we've identified more than 790 firms um, with more than 15,000 employees. Um, who could potentially benefit from this program. So again, we're looking forward to engaging with employers in this industry and helping them get up and running and most importantly, helping your employees save for their futures. Um, so before we get into the details of how to facilitate the program and what the program looks like for, um, for your employees, I just like to start out with just sort of recapping or previewing what I think are sort of the, the four most important features of the program for folks to be aware of. Number one is this mandate that we already talked about, right? The state law says all California employees with at least five employees um, must register for CalSAVERS if they don't offer a qualified retirement plan. Um, and we covered those, those registration deadlines a couple minutes ago. Um, number two, and I hinted at this earlier and I, I promise to talk about it in more detail in just a little bit, but we did design the program as automatic enrollment for your employees. So, 
it's completely voluntary for them, right? Mandates on the employer, participation is completely optional for the employee, but if they don't wanna participate, they do have to opt out from the program, otherwise they'll get automatically enrolled at the default setting. But again, we'll talk about that in much more detail in just a minute. Um, the third thing I like to cover up front and I think is a really neat feature of the program is that we've designed it as a public-private partnership. Um, so you, you all should know that the program is professionally managed and advised by professional financial service companies. So we've contracted with a, with a company with more than 40 years of experience, record keeping for IRAs and other types of long-term savings programs to run the data or, or interact with the call center. Um, you're, you're actually focusing, uh, speaking with our, our program administrator um, and all of the investments are managed by you know, professional um, investment management companies. We'll talk about those in just a second. And I think that's important because that means that, that you and your employees get the expertise of these professional firms, but with state oversight, right? I work for a nine member public board chaired, chaired by the state treasurer whose job it is to oversee the program and make sure that it's operating in the best interest of your, of your employees, of, of the savers of the program. And then fourth, and I think this is really neat also, is that the program is designed to operate at zero cost to the state, the taxpayer, and you as the employer. Um, so we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail in just a second, but the program is designed to be entirely self-sustaining based on the small fee that we charge the participants. Um, we're operating right now on a startup loan that we got from the general fund that we're going to be paying back with interest. And then, like I said, once the program's up and running, we'll be um, self-sustaining based on the, on the small fee that we charge participants. And we'll talk about that in more detail in just a second. All right. So that covers, you know, the background and some of the key features. But the next thing I kind of like to talk about is talking about what facilitating CalSAVERS means for employers that register for the program and decide to use CalSAVERS as, as their means to comply with this new mandate. Um, so, you know, when the, when the legislation first passed back in 2016, one of the very first things we did was get together a group of stakeholders that represented, you know, um, the interests of consumers, you know, so, you know, advocacy groups, labor organizations, stuff like that but also different advocacy groups for employers. Um, and we even engaged with, you know, directly with a lot of small employers, small business owners to sort of understand, you know, what it is about the programs on the existing market that make it difficult for employers to, to offer retirement savings to their employees. And over and over again, from those small employers in particular, we sort of heard the same three hurdles, right? Employers were concerned about the administrative burden that comes with uh, sponsoring their own, their own retirement program. Employers were concerned about the fees, right? There's startup costs, there's ongoing costs, um, compliance costs when you sponsor your own, your own 401k or something like that. And then of course there's the fiduciary responsibility, right? So employers are responsible for monitoring the fees and the investments on a, on, you know, on a retirement program that they offer. And if something goes wrong, their employees could potentially, you know, hold them, hold them responsible. So we tried to design CalSAVERS to address all three of those concerns that, that employers were sharing with us. We've tried to make it as easy as possible for employers to facilitate. Hopefully you'll see some evidence of that, you know, as I go through the details on, on what that means. Um, you know, I mentioned it before, I'll say it again, there are no fees for the employer. The only cost for you as the employer is gonna be the little bit of administrative work that it's gonna take to, to sort of bake this into your existing payroll process. But we've been hearing from, you know, the vast majority of employers who are, who are facilitating the program already, that it's really, it fits in really seamlessly with, with, with employers existing payroll process. Um, and fortunately, they're telling us that it's not that hard. In fact, it's, it's easier than they thought it was going to be. Um, sometimes I feel like we have a pretty low bar as a, as a state program, though. Um, and then most importantly, employers are not fiduciaries of the program. So, so again, you know, I work for the nine member public board whose responsibility is to oversee the program and who has taken on this fiduciary responsibility um, so that employers don't have to do it, right? You're not sponsoring the program, so why should you be responsible for it? So it's our board and, you know, the relevant contractors that I mentioned, the program administrator and the investment managers who have taken on that fiduciary responsibility and, you know, work every day to make sure that the program is operating in the best interest of your employees, of the savers. All right, so that was a long-winded intro to talk about the employer's responsibility. So, you know, if an employer does decide to register for CalSAVERS and facilitate their employees' access in order to comply with this new mandate, um, it really comes down to four relatively simple steps. The first two steps, one-time one time deals, you'll need to register by your, your state required deadline and you'll need to take a few minutes to set up your account. Most employers are telling us that this takes less than 15 minutes, but it's basically you go online, you set up a username and password, you tell us who at your organization is gonna be sort of managing the payroll piece um, and tell us a little bit about how you run your payroll. 
so that we can help you guys get that part set up. Um, the next step is sort of the key to the automatic enrollment feature of this program, but employers are required to give us a roster of all of your eligible employees. So remember that's all of your employees that receive California W-2 wages from, from your organization um, who are 18 years or older and have a social security number and ITIN. So you'll include your part-time folks, you'll include your seasonal workers if you have them, um, you know, when they're, when they're working for you, when they're in season, you'll include them in your roster. Um, when you give us that roster, it kicks off a 30-day employee decision period, which we'll talk about in more detail in just a minute. But once that's over, employers will then begin to submit employee contributions um, for those employees that don't opt out. And again, that's part of your existing payroll process. And those, two la and those last two steps are really the only ongoing responsibilities that employers will have to facilitate the program. You'll need to maintain that roster. So as you add new employees to your company, you'll, you'll add them to your roster. You let folks go, you can mark them in as, act, as inactive. Um, and then you'll continue to submit employee contributions with each pay, with each pay period um, for those of your employees who are participating. So um, again, you know, relatively simple. It'll be a line item that you'll add to your payroll system. Um, you'll let that run every time you run your payroll and then send us a report for those participating employees and send us the money. And then we'll take care of putting it into their accounts for them. So, um, Want to summarize a couple of things that you know employers will not do. So employers again will not incur any program fees. You don't have any fiduciary responsibility for the program. And employers are not allowed to make an employer contribution. So the only monies that are going to be allowed to go into your employees' retirement accounts is the employee's own payroll contribution. So um, there's no match, for example, uh, that's allowed with the CalSAVERS program. Um, and then I like to list a few things that just employers should not do, must not do. Um, you know, in, employers, they, while employers play an important role in helping their employees know that this is coming and that, you know, they should keep an eye out for um, information from the program. And, you know, you can even let them know how to opt out if they decide that they want to opt out. But employers shouldn't be encouraging or discouraging participation in the program. Um, employers don't provide advice about investment options, taxes, or participation in the program. Right. Most 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 business owners I know don't want to get involved in that anyway, if they're not a financial advisor by trade. Um, but of course, employers won't manage investment options, process distributions or manage any of the changes that employees have to make. You know, I mentioned that that stakeholder group of of, um, of employers that we engaged with early in the in the design of this program. And one of the first things that they told us was, you know, we don't want to be responsible for passing out, you know, information about the program or collecting and saving um, opt-out forms. So we said, no problem, you know, we'll be responsible for, for sending out all of the communications to employees. Employees can communicate directly with the program anytime they need to make changes or opt out or, you know, change their address or information. So they won't be knocking on your door to make those changes um, while you're trying to run your business. Um, and then of course we communicate any of those, those changes that affect your payroll. Um, you know, we'll communicate those to you um, through our CalSAVERS um, employer portal and by email, we'll send you guys emails if there's notifications um, to remind you to check your portal and make changes that, that might affect payroll. So again, you know, the goal was to alleviate that administrative responsibility from the employer to try to make it as easy as possible. Um, so just really quickly, we'll go over a timeline of what it would look like, you know, for you to register for the program. You know, by now, any employer that we've identified as eligible, you know, we've been sending you communications, maybe even for a couple of years now, um, but those communications would, would include an access code that you'll need to begin the registration process. Um, once you, with that registration or with that access code in hand, you can register anytime you'd like. You know, I encourage folks to get on early, um, as early as possible before that June 30th deadline, but I know a lot of people are going to procrastinate. It's okay. Um, all you'll need to register is your EIN and that access code from your email. Uh, once an employer registers, uh, they have 30 days to set up their account and upload that roster of employees. And I think this is important for folks who, you know, are thinking about that June deadline and thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll get started with the registration part early, but I won't have to worry about facilitating, you know, the employee contributions until June. That's not the case. Once an employer registers, the regulations say you've got 30 days to upload your roster of employees. So just, you know, if you think you might want to wait until June, if you're, you know, uh, you're sort of on the fence about it, then, you know, definitely wait until you're ready. Because once you sign up, you'll have 30 days to get that roster uploaded and set up your account. But as I mentioned, 
when, once you upload that roster of employees, your that'll kick off the, what we call the 30-day employee decision period. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more detail about you know what your employees will experience during this time. Um, but this is a good opportunity for you as an employer to you know connect with your payroll company to see you know what kind of support you can expect from them. Um, you know we've seen all different types and levels of integration with with the various payroll companies that, that you know we've interacted so far since we've launched the program. Um, and you know we've noticed that employers are getting a different level of service depending on depending on who their payroll company is. But um, you know it's a good opportunity to get that set up. And you know our client service team, employer service team, is standing by ready to help folks get those things set up. Also, um, so you're kind of in a waiting pattern during that 30-day employee decision period while your employees are deciding if they want to opt out or if they want to customize their account. But after those 30 days, we, we will enroll your employees into the program, anybody who didn't opt out, and you as the employer can begin initiating those payroll contributions um, as part of your existing payroll process. Um, so that's it. I mean, that covers the timeline and the responsibilities that employers um, will sort of take on if uh, if they register for CalSAVERS and decide to facilitate their employees access to the program. And remember employers um, who would rather go out and start their own qualified plan have that option too. Um, but next I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, what the program looks like from your employee's perspective. Um, so we'll talk about a little, a little bit about the employee experience. So I figure we start out with some, some key features of the program from the employee's perspective. Again, we've designed the whole program around an automatic payroll deduction IRA. So just like any IRA that you might get at your local financial institution, um, same, same rules apply. Um, the key difference here is we're working with you as the employer to get your employees enrolled and, and help you guys facilitate their, their automatic contributions um, to be deducted directly from their paycheck and deposited into their account. Um, I mentioned already the program's completely voluntary for savers. It is designed about around this automatic enrollment but savers can opt out or opt back in at any time. Um, you know, just like our goal was to make the program as simple as possible for employers, goal was the same for employees. We wanted to make a really simple program. Um, you know, we figure a lot of, of folks who might be exposed to this program maybe never had the opportunity to save in this type of account before. So we figured, number one, make it as easy as possible to get in, which is, you know, the, the key to the automatic enrollment feature, right? Remove all those barriers, get them in, get folks started. Um, but for folks who do want to engage with the program and customize their settings um, are welcome to do that. We've tried to keep our menu of customization very simple and easy to understand. Um, and again, we have a dedicated saver service team who employees can reach out to if they have any questions about how the program works and stuff like that. Um, another key feature of the program, as far as the employees are concerned or the savers are concerned, it is completely portable. So unlike a traditional employer-sponsored plan that's tied to the employer, you know, I've been through a couple of companies that, you know, had a 401k and every time I left that company, I had usually two choices. I could either roll that money over into another qualified plan or I could cash it out. And the much younger, less smart version of me cashed them out because a couple of thousand dollars that was in my IRA was pretty attractive when I was when I was between jobs. But that meant that, you know, we were starting over every time we changed jobs. But with CalSavers, because it's portable, it'll follow employees. Um, you know, wherever they go, if they end up at another CalSAVERS participating employer, they'll be able to, um, you know, make contributions into their existing account um, from their new employer. Um, and if they end up at, a, at an employer that, that isn't sponsoring CalSAVERS, or I'm sorry, that isn't uh, facilitating CalSAVERS, then they can, they can roll it over, they can leave it in the account and let it grow. They can even make contributions from their bank account if they wanted to make contributions on the side to their CalSAVERS account. So, Savers have tons of options if they if they leave your business. The most important thing here is that 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 account belongs to them, and they have options about what to do with that money if they if they want to exercise those options. And then I mentioned you know the the program is self-sustaining based on the small fee that we save our that we charge our participants. We wanted to keep that that fee as low as possible. You know the legislation that created the program said that we had to have our fees below one percent by the sixth year that we were operating the program. Um, but we're proud to say that we launched the program with fees below 1%. I've got a slide coming up in a couple of slides that has it in, in detail what the fees are, but um, suffice it for now to say the fees are less than 1%. Um, in fact, 0.95% uh, is, the, is the most expensive option that we have available in the program. And um, best thing about our fees, if there's 
ever anything good about fees is um, the, the contract that we have with our program administrator um, stipulates that, our, that the, the fee that they collect um, to, to operate the, the program automatically goes down as the program grows. So as the program grows and reaches scale, the fees are automatically gonna go down um, as we do that. So again, low fees for, um, for our participants. Next thing I wanted to go over was the timeline, you know, similar to the timeline that I just went from the employer's perspective. We'll go over a similar timeline, but this time from the employee's perspective. Now, from the employee's perspective, it all starts out when you as the employer upload that roster of eligible employees to the CalSAVERS employer portal. Now, as soon as you do that, we start sending out the notifications to your employees. If you give us their email, that's going to be the, you know, our preferred method of, of sending it to them. Um, but you can also give us a residence address or a mailing address and we can send it U.S. mail. Um, we'll send three notifications to employees between when you give us their information and when we enroll them in the program, because we really are trying to get a hold of them and let them know, you know, what the program's all about and what their options are. So again, that kicks off that 30-day employee decision period. Um, you know, after those 30 days, we're going to enroll your employees into the program and you can begin initiating those payroll contributions. But for the employee, those 30 days are, are really important, right? Because they really have three options. Um, they can do nothing, right? They don't contact us at all, in which case we will automatically enroll them into the program at the default setting. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. Option number two, they come to our website or they call our call center and they customize their settings. Um, you know, they can choose their own investments uh, from our menu of investments. They can choose their own uh, contribution rate. Um, add beneficiaries, things like that. Option number three is they can opt out. Um, and we even wanted to make that easy. So folks can opt out over the phone. Um, we have an IVR system where they just punch in some information and opt them out. Um, they can do it online or they can fill out a form and send it back to us. So three different ways to opt out. Again, we wanted to make that as easy as possible for employees to understanding that, you know, at various stages in your life, it might not be the right time to start saving for retirement even though we've strongly believed that it's important. Um, we definitely recognize that. So next we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what the default settings are versus the way that, that employees can customize their account. So um, if, a, if an employee gets automatically enrolled and doesn't customize their settings, this is what the account's gonna look like. So we're gonna start them off with a Roth IRA in their name. So with the Roth IRA, the contributions are going in after tax. Um, the benefit of that is that the, um, the growth that they, you know, the, the investment returns that they have in their account over their career, once they reach retirement age, they can withdraw all of that without ever having to pay taxes on it, right? They pay taxes up front. Uncle Sam's happy he got his money. Um, so anything that's in the account, once they reach retirement age, is theirs, um, and they don't have to report it as income ever again. Um, the other good thing is that with the Roth IRA, because they've already paid taxes on it, they will always have access to the contributions that they make even before they reach retirement age without paying taxes and penalties. So if an employee has an emergency, they need to make a withdrawal from the account so they can access their contributions without paying taxes and penalties. Um, the only catch on that is if they try to withdraw interest before they reach retirement age, then they could possibly have to pay taxes on the interest um, and possibly have penalties too. But again, contributions, they always have access to. Um, as far as the contribution rate goes, we decided to start, on, start them off at 5%. Um, and that does feature automatic escalation. So that means we start them off at 5%, and then every year we're gonna bump it up 1% until it reaches 8%. Now the idea there is get them started at something relatively comfortable, but then give them a, a slight nudge every year to try to encourage folks to save more over their career uh, with the end goal, of course, of, of um, having more money to live on when they reach retirement age. Um, and then as far as the investment options go, we wanted to make sure that everybody had a relatively appropriate investment option um, if they get automatically enrolled based on their age and time to retirement. So it's really designed around what's called a target retirement fund. Those are those mutual fund style investments where, you know, the asset allocations or the mix of stocks and bonds um, are balanced to be a little bit more aggressive when someone's younger, right? Because they have time to take risk and ride out the market if the market goes up and down. Um, but it will automatically adjust every five years as the employee gets closer to retirement, um, becoming more conservative over time so that once they get closer to retirement age, they're taking less risk in the market with their money. Um, so for the first 30 days that anybody, um, you know, is contributing to their account, will put their, their, will deposit their money into a money market fund. 
So it'll be liquid. And if they call us and say, hey, I didn't want to participate, send me my money back. We can do that quickly. Um, but after those 30 days, we're going to sweep all of that money into the target retirement fund. And then all of their contributions after that will go into the target retirement fund. All right. So quickly, we can talk about how employees can customize their account. You know, we know that some people want to take a tax deduction in the current year for their IRA contributions. And we also know that some people, because of IRS rules, make too much money to participate in a Roth IRA. So um, folks can recharacterize their, their contributions um, to either take advantage of the, of the tax deduction for a current year or, um, you know, if they, if they make too much money to qualify for the Roth IRA, but they still want to participate, they can do that. Um, in terms of contribution rate, employees obviously have complete control over how much they, part they, they contribute to the account. So they can contribute anywhere between 1% of their pay and 100% of their pay as long as they stay below the IRS limits. Um, which this year is $6,000 per year if they're under 50, um, $7,000 per year if they're over 50. And then, of course, that automatic escalation feature is optional. So folks can turn that off and on um, at any time. And then in terms of investment options, you know, we wanted to make something accessible and simple for employees. So we didn't want to overwhelm people with too many confusing choices. So we wanted to keep a, a small menu that sort of you know, represents options on either side of the of the more aggressive or more conservative scale. So, you know, I already mentioned the target retirement fund and the money market fund. In addition to that, we've got core bond fund, which, you know, is all bonds. So that's going to be a little bit more conservative. We've got our global equity fund, which is all stocks. So that one's going to be a little bit more aggressive. And then we also right now have a, a sustainable balance fund. So folks, um, where, you know, the, the underlying um, investments in that fund are chosen based on their environmental impact, their social impact, how well the company is governed. Um, so folks who want to who want to invest in that way have the option to do that too. Um, so again, you know, we we wanted to make keep it simple, but we wanted people to be able to engage with us in a way that they felt comfortable, um, you know, saving saving their money with us. All right, so that you know sort of sums up the saver experience. So I want to leave you with this slide. This is really important, um, you know. As I mentioned, we think it's really important to engage with employers early, help them understand what the, what the program's about. Same with the employees. So folks can visit our website anytime. It's calsavers.com. Um, you employers will find, you know, tools and tips and templates, program details, videos about how to, you know, complete different tasks, uh, frequently asked questions. Same for savers. You know, we've got some educational videos. We've got program details, forms, and frequently asked questions. Um, for the phone lines, we've got dedicated lines for both savers and employees. So, you know, you can call that employer line 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and get someone who, you know, understands the uh, employer process. Uh, we also have an email that you can reach out to. Um, we've got English and Spanish speakers available on the phone most of the time. We also have access to an ang uh, a language line. So folks, we can, you know, help answer questions or work with folks in, in pretty much any language. Um, and then we also, this is something I'm very proud of, offer one-on-one -on -one support for employers who are facilitating the program. So we've got a dedicated onboarding team at the call center whose job it is to reach out to employers after you register um, to help you get up and running. We also have a group of in-state representatives, local, we call it our field team, but these are, um, you know, local folks who can, who can come out to your business or meet with you online or over the phone um, and give you local one-on-one -on -one support. Um, as you facilitate the program for your employees. Um, they also do, can come out to your business or do it online. They can do um, presentations for your employees. Similar to this one, much shorter, but you know, focused on the employee and their options. So um, that team is also, also multilingual. So we can do presentations in English, Spanish, Cantonese, and Mandarin. Um, employer or employee presentations in any of those languages. So, um, once again, you know, we don't want any employer to feel overwhelmed by this process or to feel like they have to go it alone. So, you know, again, we're really excited to connect with employers um, and, and help you get up and running and understand the program and, and what you'll need to do, help you get everything set up. Um, I, you know, have done several presentations with, you know, various farm bureaus and, and stuff like that. So I've sort of gathered, um, a sort of frequently asked question from, you know, agricultural employee, employers in particular that seem to be, you know, questions that come up fairly, fairly commonly, um, you know, with, with your peers. So um, I figured I might as well address some of them up front. So we definitely get a lot of questions about, you know, which employees count. 
Pratt, because I mentioned earlier that um, it was all of your California W-2 employees who are 18 years or older who have social security numbers or an I-10. Um, but we definitely understand that you guys have seasonal employees, um, H-2A workers who might be here on a visa, um, but we just want to let you know that um, those are those folks are included also, your part-time, your seasonal, your, your um, H-2A workers, um, which the good news is that you don't have to figure out who's eligible and who's not. Just know if they collect a W-2 from you, they're eligible for the program. We also hear a lot of concerns from agricultural employers about the high turnover. Um, you know, so folks are concerned about how much time they have to add new employees and, you know, what are their responsibilities if their employee doesn't stay on very long. Um, you know, so we want to reassure folks that, you know, the regulations say that employers have 30 days to add new employees to their roster once they hire them. So they're eligible on day one. There's no waiting period for the employee, but you as the employer have 30 days to give us their information. So um, we've worked with some employers who found it easier to upload employees in batches. So they'll wait a week, you know, bi-weekly, upload their employees in batches. And we've had other employers that, you know, upload them on day one. You know, when they add them to payroll, they add them to, to CalSavers. Um, so there is some flexibility for you to figure out what works best for your business. Um, and then because you have those 30 days to get folks uploaded, if they don't stay very long, if they only work a day or two and they end up leaving, um, if you haven't uploaded them yet and they're no longer your employee, then you won't have to upload them. So again, there is some flexibility there, but our field team and our call center has a lot of experience with this. So if you're ever, you know, if you ever have questions or, or want some help figuring out what works best for your business, feel free to reach out and we can help you out. Um, we also hear a lot of concern about, you know, are employers responsible for tracking enrollments, tracking opt-outs and changes to participation um, and contribution rates. Um, and we just want to remind everybody that, that it's our responsibility to track that information and employees will interact directly with the program when they want to make changes to the program or to, you know, to their account. And then we'll communicate only those things that are necessary. So like if an employee changes their contribution rate, we'll send you an email um and uh color code it on your employer portal so that you can see it really easily um and you can make the necessary adjustments in your payroll if you need to and then you know given given the you know the nature of of employees in in um in the industry you know a lot of employers are asking what's the best way for your employees to learn about the program you know and there's a few things that we have available here I mentioned that, you know, we think that employees can, employers can play a very important role in helping your employees know that this is rolling out. So on our website, under the employer resources, we've got flyers, we've got pre-written letters that you can send out to your employees or print out and attach to pay stubs that let them know that you've registered for the program and that they should be looking out for information from the program. Um, you can include this stuff in your onboarding if you want to. Um, so there is a role that employers can play if they want to, but keep in mind that it is our responsibility to, to, to deliver those messages. So employers that don't want to take on that role don't have to. Um, but we do weekly um, webinars for employees, and I mentioned that we have um, our field team available to go out to your place of business um, and actually do presentations for your employees. So um, lots of different ways for employees to learn about the program. And, you know, I always say when in doubt, reach out. Um, connect with us and, and we can help work with you to, to make sure that your employees know what's going on. So that really covers my presentation. Um, you know, once again, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you guys today and explain how the program works and talk about what it means for your employees. Um, you know, we've got plenty of time, I think, to answer questions. Um, I had the little, the little chat thing covered up, but it looks like there are some in there now. So I'd be happy to answer some questions. But in the meantime, I'll also leave up my information here on the screen, my emails here, um, as well as all of our websites and socials. So feel free to, you know, jot those down and check them out anytime you'd like. Thanks so much, Jonathan. And again, a reminder to our participants, if you would like to raise your hand, we'll call on you to ask a live question, or you could um, toss a question up in the chat. Um, one of the questions in the chat was, can the employees contribute less than 5%? I think that was covered in one of your more recent slides that they can choose to cover between 1% and 100%, depending on um, how that works out for them. So that'll be, um, I think that one's answered. I did have a couple questions ahead of the webinar, Jonathan. Um, I am wondering, sorry, it looks like we're having a little tech issue here. Um, one of my producers is wondering, um, she had over five employees 
in um, the last quarter of 2021, but recently they downsized at their dairy and they're going to have less. How should she account for that? Um, and then could she wait until um, the beginning of the second quarter of this year to reach out to you so that she doesn't have that requirement for, because now she has about three employees. So that's a great question and one that we get a lot, especially as we're getting close to this next deadline. So um, I think that the most important thing is to keep in mind that we're basing the current year's eligibility based on the average number of employees that, that you reported to EDD for the previous calendar year. So it sounds like in this case, the employer's average for, um, for 2021 will be five or more, which means you're eligible, which again is a nice, a nice way of saying mm -hmm. subject to the mandate, right. um, you know, for, for the calendar year of, of 2022. And we get fresh data from EDD every April, and that's when we'll reassess. So it sounds like they should register and facilitate the program for their employees this year. But um, again, you know, reach out to us and we can look it up and see if, if we see something different or if the average was below five for, for 2021, we can let you know. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, looks like there's another question in the chat. What if an employee does not use email or the internet? Can things be done in other ways to help them? Absolutely, yes. So um, the you know the email is an optional field when you when you upload the roster. And if we don't have an email, we will send it either to the residence address that you that you provide us or a mailing address that you provide us. So feel free to give us that inf that information. Um, employees can also call our 800 number um, and use our mobile app if they don't feel comfortable accessing it on the internet. Perfect. Um, another question: What is the reporting mechanism for the employer if an employee does leave? Great question. So there's no requirement that you tell us when your employees leave, um, but you do have the ability to go up into your CalSAVERS employer portal and mark employees as inactive, and that would basically remove them from your active employee list um, and help you keep your, 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 your list of employees clean. Perfect. If anybody, oh, here we go. Um, thanks, Devin. Um, how do the employees' contributions make it to their CalSAVERS account? Do the employers write checks to CalSAVERS or is it electronic? That's another great question. So there are three ways to send, to send contributions to us. You can do an ACH transfer. Um, if you want to register your bank account with us, then we can automatically debit. Um, or you can go to your bank and initiate the ACH transfer. So either way, um, we do accept checks and we do also accept wire transfers. So any three of those options, whatever works best for the employer. Awesome. Okay, well, I um, think we're going to share this recording on our podcast this week, as well as on our website. So anybody that, oh, looks like we have one more question here. Um, does the state benefit from this program at all financially? Uh, no. So um, the state does, you know, as part of that that fee that I mentioned that we that we do charge the employees, the fee does there there is a small chunk that goes to the state, but that just covers our you know administrative costs. Um, so you know the folks that we hire to help us monitor the program and and keep an eye on it. Um, that's that's the only thing that's used. There there is no financial benefit other than that to the state. Except, you know, if you think about it and, you know, in the long term, if we get more folks saving and, you know, secure financially in retirement, they may become less reliable on, you know, government, you know, uh, support programs once they do reach retirement age. So there is the, the possible long term uh, benefit for the state in that regard. Perfect. Well, as I started to say earlier, this will be re, um, recorded. This has been recorded. It's going to be on our podcast this week. We're also going to post the video online. And with Jonathan's permission, we'll share his slides as well, just so folks can have the information right at their fingertips. As um, field reps, we're happy to help you with this. Darby and I are both available. Um, we'll work directly through the CalSAVERS team if we have specific questions. A lot of it I've actually done this for my dad's business. It's not super difficult. It's just a lot of labor intensive at first. So once we get over that hurdle, um, I think it's not too bad. So please feel free to reach out and call us if you have questions or needs in signing up. And it looks like one more question here. Um, if employees do not respond to CalSAVERS, um, they're automatically opted in, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, great. So we will, um, yeah, we'll be here for, at, you know, help is at your fingertips. 
I think my biggest piece of advice for everybody on the call and all of our producers is don't wait till, you know, the last day to call us and sign up. We're happy to help. We have um, a little bit of time here so we can start coming out and visiting with you and, and getting you enrolled if need be. And um, please call us early and often about this. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for your time. And thanks everybody for being here. This was a great turnout. I think we, um, this was a really helpful um, webinar today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks again for joining us for Seen and Heard this week, and a big thanks to our contributors, the team at CalSavers, and Tiffany LaMandola, our economist with Blimling & Associates. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. And for any questions, comments, or content requests, don't hesitate to shoot us an email at mlema at wudairies.com or darby at wudairies.com. Have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.